Northern Europe has an incredible amount of offshore and onshore wind that already is being put to good use today. Turns out that there's already the, the beginnings of an entire distribution network of dedicated hydrogen pipelines and they're being adapted and more electrolysis and more hydrogen will go into those existing pipelines connecting places like Germany and the Netherlands and the onshore and offshore wind. That's a really good start. Welcome back to the Decarb Connect podcast. My name is Alex Cameron. I'm the founder and CEO of Decarb Connect, and I am here today with Marty Nice, who is CEO of Verdigy, a, a green hydrogen electrolyzer producer and project partner. And Marty, welcome. You're one of our DLN members, and it's been great to sort of get to know you a little during the prep call, and I'm really looking forward to today's conversation. So thanks for agreeing to take part. Thanks for having me. I'm, I'm very happy to be here. Thanks, Alex. So we will kick straight in with my my standard first question, which I ask all guests. And it, it's rooted in the fact that people come into climate decarbonization, these kind of market areas from so many different backgrounds. It, so I've, I've been really enjoying asking over the last you know few years of this podcast, how has someone arrived at this point in time? So let me direct that at you. So both personally, professionally, what is it that's happened to bring you to a point in time where you're working on not just climate technology, but very specifically this aspect of green hydrogen technology? Give us the overview. Yeah, so it, it kind of rewinds the clock a little bit for me back to the two, 2007 era where I was starting to read more and more about globalization and more and more about climate change all at the same time. And I kept saying uh, they should do something about that. They, they really should do something about that. I'm really frustrated that they aren't doing something about that. And so uh, I was the COO of a, a massive electronics company and I just kept wagging my finger at they. And then it occurred to me like, well, who's they? Like, why am I not part of the, the they that does something about it? So I just started researching and I, I found my way into a solar company in 2008. And um, turns out that that looked like an impossible journey. But I thought, well, you know, if you're going to do something, you might as well throw your weight into it and just go for it. So we started down the path of scaling up solar in 2008. and that went extraordinarily well. Turned out that you could massively scale an industry, you could massively reduce the cost, and it worked. Turns out you could also make a livelihood at it. That was also beneficial. And then uh, last but not least, along the way, um, as a career development opportunity, I took an opportunity to join a PEM fuel cell company board in 2015 to learn more about like fuel cells. I thought, well, that's cool. Well, fast forward, uh, now we arrive at the present day, 2021, and somebody from the Coastal Ventures folks that I had known from the past knocked on my door and said, would you be interested in a green hydrogen company? And I said, well, it depends on what kind. And then I joined Vertigy. And so um, super interesting journey to go from back then, which seems like the olden days of climate tech, to today and uh, super happy to be in the industry now. 
the olden days of climate tech. The, old, the olden days of climate tech. Yeah, 2007. So in a kind of a very uh, Alex Cameron simplistic way, obviously green hydrogen relies on renewables. So the route in was via renewables for you, whereas we've spoken with other people before who maybe came from a chemical, you know, chemistry background or something like that. But um, okay, that's interesting. And as you referenced there, and I saw on your LinkedIn profile, it's also interesting that you have brought such varied types of scales of company experience. So real kind of big corporates. You've also been, as you said, involved in um, early stage startup, um, early career in the military, which I'm sure really does embed a kind of get it done, can do mentality. So um, a range of experience that you're bringing to the table. We will go into our kind of core theme in a moment, but before we do, just give that brief overview of Vertigy. I've described it um, slightly candidly, I think, as a green hydrogen uh, electrolyzer company, but give us a bit of um, an overview of where, where you guys are right now and where you're at. We'll then talk about the theme and we'll revisit uh, what Vertigy and you and the team are up to towards the end of the recording. Yeah, so Vertigy is a spin out. So that's one of the things that really attracted me to the opportunity. First of all, I'm, I'm not an electrochemist. I, I'm not a PhD in chemical engineering. I've spent no time in that space. I've never been under a fume hood. I've never mixed a beaker of anything. Like, that's not me. But uh, when the coastal folks knocked on the door, they said, hey, by the way, there's a company that's been working on industrial decarbonization of the chemicals industry for a decade. You should meet them. They're now switching from the, the product and technology that they were using for a decade to decarbonize um, the chemicals industry. And they've applied that same kind of thinking to hydrogen on purpose in a green electrolyzer company. I said, I, first of all, I think you called the wrong person. I don't know anything about electrochemistry. I said, no, 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 your background is fine. You, what you do know is scale up and you do know where renewables integrate with different things. So we called you on purpose. I said, okay, fine. So then we went from there and Vertigy is a spin out. And what that means is I was fortunate enough to be the last person to join the company. I had a team that had been working together for a very long time, hundreds of patents, lab assets, a pilot plant, a uh, starting point for the, the design basis and the technology. And then my job was to come in and say, okay, how do we take what looks to be highly promising and launch it, scale it, commercialize it, and get it going and get it going globally? And I was like, okay, I know that lane. I don't know these other lanes, but I can learn that part. Let's join forces here. And, and that's what we did. Mm. So you are the bring this guy into scale. This is about scale and about sort that's of right. yeah, taking it to the next level of the market. Okay. Scale A and cost reduction B. Those, those two things are part and parcel to any renewable landscape. You have to be able to say, what are we doing today and why should the economic buyer care in the future? Mm -hmm. And so in the early days of solar, you always talked about grid parity. And we'll talk a little bit more, I'm sure, about fossil parity. Yeah. But those parity points are what unlock enormous drivetrains of transition when you can make the economic buyer's life uh, a no-brainer. They, they don't have to choose between, uh, let's say, competing environmental concerns and economic concerns. 
they're one and the same. And when they go together, the twin engines can really turbocharge an industry. And that's what we're seeing in green hydrogen as well. I just want to take this opportunity to thank our production partner and sponsor, Jano Media, for their support in delivering the Decarb Connect podcast. Over the last few years, they've helped us to facilitate great conversations that connect us with our audience. And their skills and expertise mean that we get to concentrate exclusively on generating the content, the conversations that engage, inform and inspire. That leads neatly into our theme, because when we were doing our prep call and we were sort of considering, you know, a few different areas that we could talk about, you were um, really waving the flag and adamant that there was so much to talk about in this area of optimism, bluntly. Optimism about the area of climate, but specifically around uh, green hydrogen. And I think it is a timely subject. There's so much um, when you read just general newspapers, when you read trade press, when you read all the newsletters we all get that, you know, that I guess, you know, sells a story that things are, you know, not all good or that it's a, I don't know, you know, difficult times in, in the climate sector. But you, Marty, and I both know in very different ways that there is actually a lot happening, a lot of positivity and a lot of energy. So, um, yeah, so our theme today is to look at five or so reasons for optimism around green hydrogen and its path to fossil parity. Because as you say, that whole discussion of how do we make this a no-brainer technology acquisition is is essential. So so let me hand that back to you then. What what are those reasons that we should be optimistic, both in general about uh, climate tech and the market, but also specifically about green hydrogen? Yeah. So, you know, when I started in solar, we talked about grid parity and, you know, you had this trajectory curve and uh, there were a lot of skeptics and people say can't be done. You know, solar has been around for decades, can't be done. It's absolutely impossible. Well, it turns out it can be done. And it turns out that with a little bit of guardrails on policy to say what you can't do, and then incentives to say what you should do and can do, uh, people will, will move. And um, those exact forces are at work here. So take an industry like solar and wind, which have now substantially reduced their costs, and they're the number one and number two new resources every year in, in energy supply globally. So they're continuing a cost reduction curve. Great. That's wonderful. Scale-up curve, wonderful also. Well, what do you what do you do with it? Turns out that the wind and the sun are not always available. So you need the ability to couple intermittent power with other things. Okay, so battery electric storage, scaling up massively, cost reducing massively. You're getting all the factors in place that you need to say, what if we took sunshine or wind or, or batteries and we turned all of that into an opportunity to put it into a molecule of hydrogen, green hydrogen, which you can then do all sorts of things with downstream. Wouldn't that be awesome? And it turns out it is. And when you start looking at the trajectory of green hydrogen with those input powers of like renewables and solar and wind and a little bit of battery here and there, maybe you start putting all that together and with a little bit of incentive background to get kickstart things, fossil parity is like within the next 24 months. 24, 36 months in the United States where there's incentives that get things going. And people don't, they, they can't get their mind around that. They're like, 
that can't be so. Yes, it, it actually can be so. And because renewables are continuing their journey downward in cost and upward in scale, and electrolyzers are doing the same thing, start putting those things together in an ecosystem, and you can start displacing all kinds of carbon-based hydrogen that exists today in industry, or you can start re replacing other fuels with novel fuels that are e-fuels, if you will, so green, and put those together. And that fossil parity really is going to attract the massive, massive, massive investor base. And then that draws in the customers, that draws in the companies. It starts becoming a flywheel unto itself when you've got that fossil parity and the economic choice uh, readily at hand. No, it's, uh, just you know, jump in with a question there. So, twenty-four to thirty-six months—that's the the prediction for this on on fossil parity. To to what extent is that more about where the renewables market is and where renewables technology is, or is it more about the impact of the IRA and some of those incentives? Which which do you feel is sort of weighting that more heavily? Like, what's really the kind of bigger driver at the moment? Yeah, the IRA is certainly attracting a lot of scale and attention and projects and project development. But uh, without incentives, you're still getting to fossil parity without incentives before the end of 2030. Like you're talking in this decade, within the next two to seven years, fossil parity with and without incentives in the US, which means in other markets as well. So it's really spectacular to see there are like more than 600 gigawatts of announced projects that are coming because the transition is, is real and it's right in front of us and the economics are compelling as is the decarbonization opportunity. They're, they're joined at the hip. They're not two different things. Those are the exact same thing. Okay, so reasons to be optimistic. We have, you know, the combination of incentives and scale of renewables that's uh, pointing towards that shorter timeline to fossil parity than many observers have been talking about until recently. What else? What else gives you a kind of, when you wake up in the morning, you're like, yes, I'm in the right industry. What What are those factors or stories that you're seeing that really, you know, reiterate that for you? Well, I can only use my family as a proxy. So if I talk to my family, they're they're usually like, um, what's the deal with green hydrogen? Like that seems so novel. And I said, okay, look, hydrogen is a massive market today, touching oil and gas, industrial chemicals, steel and mining, infrastructure. It's everywhere. You just don't know it, but it's made using methane. And there's a better way now because of renewables and the lowering of cost of renewables, the incentives, the electrolyzers coming down in cost as well, you can actually take green hydrogen and replace methane-based hydrogen, which is a ginormous industry. That's a technical term for really big, ginormous. It already exists. So in my family, I say, look, you know, like oil and gas already uses a massive amount of methane, steam methane reforming to do their work. They're changing to green hydrogen. Industrial chemicals, everything you touch has industrial chemicals in it. It has gray hydrogen in it today. 
there's a better way now. We can just replace it one for one and economically do so at the advantage of the companies making the switch. And then it's like, okay, well, that sounds benign enough. It sounds like I don't have to do anything. It sounds like I get everything I do today, except without having to worry. Oh, that, yeah, I'll take that. That's my, and sorry, my family will never listen to this, but they're my proxy for like, how little can I do to change? And as long as my life stays exactly the same and you do the green hydrogen thing, I'm mm -hmm. in good shape and hurdle rate achieved. Mm -hmm. You don't have to do anything. It'll just start transitioning in the background and the average person won't know any difference. Mm. I know when we um, spoke uh, in the in the prep for this, one one of the things you pointed to, I had to admit, I mean, I was a little ashamed. I didn't really know about it or hadn't heard that much about it. But you also pointed towards um, the hydrogen infrastructure that's in development or being sponsored by the EU. So I wonder if you can talk a bit about like what is it that you see happening there? I live in Europe, even if Britain doesn't think it's in Europe, we are, um, you know, and even I didn't really know that much about it. So I'm going to guess there's quite a lot of people outside of Europe who don't. Yeah. Tell us a bit about what we should be aware of there. Yeah, if you think of things like Northern Europe, Northern Europe has uh, an incredible amount of offshore and onshore wind and solar, but really onshore and offshore wind. Okay, that already is being put to good use today. Turns out that there's already the, the beginnings of an entire distribution network of dedicated hydrogen pipelines that some are in place and they're being adapted and um, more electrolysis and more hydrogen will go into those existing pipelines connecting places like Germany and the Netherlands and the onshore and offshore wind. So, okay, that's a really good start in the south places like Portugal, Spain, France, they're building underwater hydrogen pipelines for the distribution of hydrogen through a pipeline network. Okay, huge uh, amounts of solar going in in the south. You can turn that into hydrogen, green hydrogen in the south, green hydrogen in the north. Little by little, there's a, a multi- a uh, year roadmap that the EU has published of where the pipeline network will be expanding and being built. Just like in, in the US, you'd say the interstate highway system was built at one point, they laid it out, and then you got to watch it be built. The exact same thing in the EU is happening. It's just, it's not advertised a lot. I'm, I'm not sure why, but you're connecting every single country in the EU will have access to green hydrogen pipeline in the future. And you'll be able to take huge amounts of offshore and onshore wind and solar, turn it into molecules and distribute them all throughout the EU to include the non-EU or former EU, however you want to say it. And then uh, the Nordics, all of that is in a 15, 20 year build out where you're going to see just an incredible transformation of the underlying infrastructure to, to distribute molecules all over the EU and other regions as it gets electrolyzed and turned into green hydrogen. Are there similar um, projects? Uh, I, I know there's a lot talked about in the US, but are, are there projects that are relatively advanced stages or starting to be implemented? 
Yeah, there is, but you have to think about the U.S. as like 50 countries. So it, it's as, as yes, there are hydrogen hubs. Those are getting ready to be announced. And those will be like clusters of starting points. So let's imagine like a state like California has ambitions to have a hub or two or one, whatever they can get. And then they're going to build their own pipeline north-south, if you will, through the length of the state. Now, the other part that's not, I, you know, I didn't know this. You, you talked about what you didn't know about the EU. I was interacting with one of our investors and they said, oh, we, we want to be able to integrate hydrogen in the existing pipeline network in the U.S., which is over 300,000 miles of pipeline. 300,000 miles, like, are you kidding me? I didn't know that. I didn't, I had no idea that that existed. And they have like a turbine business where they move natural gas around. They're like, we think we can blend hydrogen over time. I was like, well, that's encouraging. Seems like a, a good use of existing assets or future assets, if you will. And and it, what else? Are other things that you're seeing, whether it's projects or the way that I don't know any particular industry is engaging with green hydrogen. And then and then once once we've got our hit list of these optimism factors, we're, we are going to move on into some other discussion points. But is there anything else that you think? we should be referencing. Yeah, so if you think about like, well, of course, the EU and the US, you know, they've, they've got, you know, uh, high income, they can afford to do these things and blah, blah, blah. That That's not really the way to think about it. There's another way to think about it. When I look globally, I'm seeing incredibly large projects announced for renewable deployment and green electrolysis and green hydrogen production in markets like India. And they want to take full advantage of all their renewable resources today and in, in the future and become a green energy producer, like green hydrogen at home and, and green hydrogen for use in like green ammonia or green methanol for export. Same thing in Australia, Western Australia, massive build out. Chile, Tierra del Fuego, massive build outs. So it's starting to flatten things a little bit when you say you don't have to go three miles deep in the North Sea to find the molecule. You can take what's available from sun and wind and your local water and turn it into green hydrogen, which could be used in green fuels. And you can either consume it at home create a, a job system, uh, economic vitality for yourselves, lower your energy and carbonization issues, and you can create an export market if you're good at it. And it's, it's really interesting that some countries that are rich in wind and solar are now major energy transition countries where they didn't have anything in the fossil fuel space. And it's, it's kind of flattening the landscape, if you will. Yeah. Yeah, I think what's interesting about that is, you know, if I even think even a year or say year and a half ago, we were hearing about beginnings of projects, but it all felt so, well, it, and it still is to some extent a little disjointed, but now you're starting to get that feeling like, yeah. okay, you know, I, I get how this world map of hydrogen and hydrogen yeah. exports is going to look. And it's it's already, even just with that year, 15 months difference, starting to feel that you can see how these different projects, different opportunities are starting to come together. And that's partly because we also 
read about it or hear about those groups talking to each other more and sort of talking about that that journey to a, to more of a kind of global market for that. Yeah, and and an example would be I read I or at least I thought I read uh, different headlines like bilateral agreements with. Australia and a non-renewable energy rich company or country might be smaller, might be island oriented, might be uh, not quite as sunny or as windy, but they have energy needs. So they're doing bilateral, bilateral green hydrogen, green ammonia export deals with each other, just the same way that you would do with uh, barrels of oil with an oil producing country. Well, so those are our kind of key reasons then for optimism. And I, my, my next question, I feel like we're already starting to address is, you know, are you sensing, are you hearing in the conversations you have a shift in how green hydrogen and its role in the energy transition is being seen? Because I know from Decarb Connect side of things, obviously a lot of our customers are the industrial emitters. You know, a couple of years ago, people were very interested in green hydrogen, but also it sort of felt like everyone talked about it as a, oh, that's decades off, you know, so things have clearly moved. What are you seeing and what are you sensing in that shift? Well, one of the things is the, the factors of production have changed. So renewable energy at scale, I think there's probably, I, I don't know, it's been a while since I've checked, uh, but I think there are probably three, four, 500 gigawatts of renewables going in globally every year now between solar and wind. Okay, well, there's only so much you can do with that. At some point, if the wind isn't blowing, the sun isn't shining and you have this, this abundant resource and you're curtailing it, you're literally turning it off because there's not enough demand for it at certain periods of the day. Now enter the electrolyzer paradigm and enter the ability to, to time shift, if you will. Massive production of renewables during the day, maybe you don't need that all at that, sa that same time. Now you can electrolyze that, turn it into a molecule that you can do 24-7 downstream applications with, like a refinery, like an industrial chemical plant, like fuels. And now all of a sudden you're being able to take intermittent power on the front end and time shift it to a molecule on the other end, economically, and better than the fossil version that's come before it. Okay, what's not to like about that equation? Well, it just turns out that there's some things in the middle. Hey, dear electrolyzer guys, you need to pick up the pace. You're too expensive, you're not at scale. Well, I can assure you that that equation is not going to last very long. That's going to change dramatically. Companies like ours and many others are entering to solve the electrolyzer being a weak link in the in the chain. We're solving that at scale today, and then you'll be able to link intermittents upstream, midstream of electrolysis, and downstream molecule production and distribution whenever you need to, whenever you want to. Well, let's look at that a little more from Vertigy's point of view then. So as you said, and as we hear, you know, there is that kind of typical view, received wisdom that electrolyzers are too costly, that it's going to be impossible to get to a cost-effective point in time. What what are you guys doing around that? What, what's the Vertigy answer to that? Yeah, we, we started 100% with the scale problem as the problem we were solving. 
So in, anytime you're running a company, anytime you're doing product development or uh, anything like that, the, the, the age old business school adage is what problem are you solving? And so, okay, the problem we're solving is scale. Full stop. Then you go from there and you say, okay, how does our product address the scale issue? And that's what we've been focused on. Very large electrochemical cells using membranes in an advanced alkaline water electrolysis environment. So well known to the industry. The uh, alkaline basis is well known to the industry. Our approach is to do that in um, a method that dramatically reduces the capital costs, improves the opportunity to scale because of simplicity and just larger cells, more productive, more productive electrolyzers, speed to market, things of that nature. Put all that together and we're starting to look at, at the downstream level, what's the size of a plant that an operator needs? They don't wanna do something at two megawatt scale and, and have to do that you know, 10,000 times. They wanna have a gigawatt plant and they wanna be able to do that 200 times. So these are very large multinational corporations that are our partners and investors and industrial friends, if you will. And they're used to running very large scale activities because of the economics. So if you're going into a petrochemical refining complex, you don't want to do that two megawatts at a time. You, you want to do that at a scale that's relevant to a refinery complex. And so that's what we're thinking that way and then working our way backwards to what are the product attributes that would allow that to happen. Okay. So, yeah, so it, it, in that, I guess what I'm hearing is that scale and cost are, are obviously kind of hand in hand. The other, the other kind of area that often gets rolled out when people talk about green hydrogen is around intermittency and intermittency of the renewables. So are you, do you have a, you know, a, a storage element to what you're doing or a partner? Like how, how do you get around that? Yeah, we don't get around that. We embrace it fully. So uh, our first product is called eDynamic. So when you think of intermittent, you think of uh, variability, you think of fluctuation. So if you make the capital costs significantly low enough, you can afford to amortize them during the times when the sun is shining or the wind is blowing or both. So you also have to technically be able to change your production levels. So uh, without getting overly geeky, at some point you need to be able to turn your plant up and harvest your renewables and do so very productively. At other times you wanna be super thrifty with energy because you may be grid connected or you, you don't wanna exceed a CO2 threshold. So you turn the plant down. Our dynamic capabilities allow us to do both of those things. Load shed when we need to, to avoid costs or load gain when we need to, to enjoy productivity of renewables. Then you also have a configuration choice of whether or not you wanna introduce with your customer, battery electric or chemical storage for firming or balancing or vacillating. And those are all ecosystem design considerations that we work, work with customers on. And where, I mean, you, you mentioned before that, um, you know, green hydrogen has many applications. There are so many 
routes for it to to go products services and so where does Verdigy sit in terms of its current kind of focus in terms of clients and are there projects you could talk about or point towards that could just sort of give a bit of a, an audio visualization if that's a phrase of you know the kind of things that you're engaged in yeah, and the, we have announced some of our uh, strategic investors, if you will. So if you think about public statements we've made, we are supporting the oil and gas industry. They're, they are decarbonizing at a rapid rate. They're replacing gray hydrogen with green hydrogen. If you go to another sector we're supporting, which is the industrial chemical sector, that's things like ammonia or fertilizers. They too are looking to replace hydrogen that they use in the creation of ammonia or or, or things like meth methanol, these kinds of things can be switched. Green ammonia, green methane, those are things that can be changed, methanol can be changed um, by introducing green hydrogen molecules. Steel, mining, those are also areas that use a, a large amount of hydrogen today, they can switch. And then we're seeing increasing interest for all kinds of things relative to the transport sector. And e-fuels, whether it's marine or e-fuels, whether it's um, transport heavy-duty vehicles or e-fuels uh, aviation, like all of those things are starting to come into relief. And those are giant, giant markets across the entire economy, if you will. Okay, so we've heard about... Um you know, the ways in which you compete within the green hydrogen landscape, the things you're bringing to market. We've heard a little bit about the areas of the market that you're focusing on. What's next for you as a team? You know, a classic question I ask the disruptive text uh, that come on the podcast is around either their finance plans. Is there going to be an investment round? Are they in scale-up mode? Tell us a little bit about what's going on for you and the team in the next 12 to 15 months. Yeah, so fortunately, we just closed the financing financing round, which we just announced, so super happy about that. And what we're doing now is taking the work that has been done in Moss Landing and leveraging that and moving to the point where we're commercializing the technology. So our Moss Landing activities, all of the R&D and all of the development work, that now is going to convert into commercialization and um That'll be done with the, the customer base that we've already talked about and others. And that transition is really the next 18 months is uh, head down, demonstrating the technology at scale with first adopting customers. And is that is that is the subtext under that we're about to have a hiring frenzy or do you have the talent yeah. that you need? What's the, because I know particularly in hydrogen, Finding the right talent is something that people are talking about a lot right now. What, what's your thinking there? Yeah, I try to keep it super simple. We think we'll double by next summer and we think we'll double again the following summer. And, um, you know, look, if you're listening to this podcast and you've ever wondered what it would be like to live on the coast of California and surf in the morning and do hydrogen in, in your day job in the, the afternoon, uh, you can join us. Some of those people already exist in the company. And uh, funny enough, you'll you'll see wetsuits on the back of trucks in the parking lot and then people uh, doing their hydrogen job during the day and going home at night. We're right on the water, literally right in Moss Landing on the water. And then we have a Silicon Valley location as well. So um, all kinds of things, 
culture to the north, surfing to the south, mountains to the east, skiing in the winter. You can ski in the morning and you could be at the beach in the afternoon if you want to. Not doing a plug, but I'm just saying that there are a lot of other places that don't have these things available to people that want to work in the hydrogen industry. Yeah, what I'm taking from that is that I seriously need to work on the Decarb Connect recruitment campaigns. <laughs> that, is not, that is not how we're talking about life here, but never mind. I, I will take that as a <laughs> to action. All right, so last question for you, Marty, and that's just a kind of, I guess, kind of revisiting all your thoughts on how the market is shaping up and the kind of dynamic state that it's in. So much potential, optimism, this path towards fossil parity. Is there a kind of game-changing moment or piece of policy or something that you are expecting to see in the next year that would really be a trigger in your mind for this next wave of development? It might be an internal driver or it might be an external driver. I just wonder what what are you kind of got your got your eyes on? Uh, well, I would I would say that fortunately, I think that trigger point has already happened. And the Inflation Reduction Act and the $3 a kilogram green hydrogen tax credit is a, a game-changing piece of legislation. And that extends for a very long time. So the economics are super compelling and attractive. And it, and it did exactly what you would expect. It changed the entire global landscape of incentives, not just hey, you know, everybody that wants to be in the green hydrogen business comes rushing to the U.S. That's one thing that happened. But also there's a bit of an arms race, if you will, on incentives globally. And now other nations, other countries, other blocks are starting to say, if we want to uh, really move the needle on the energy transition, we too should put some really compelling early incentives in place not just sticks in the future about, you know, we're gonna, we're gonna make sure you have to decarbonize by regulation. That's also coming. But hey, if you do it sooner rather than later, we'll make it worth your while with incentives. And that you have an opportunity to harvest as many carrots as you can now. Sticks will come later, but carrots are available today. And if you, you take full advantage of those, the stick won't feel like a stick later. It'll just be something that goes away in the background and you'll be off to the races. Well, Marty, thanks so much for, for joining me. Other than severe jealousy at this mental image I now have of swim uh, wetsuits and surfers in your offices, I, again, definitely need to work on that part of our proposition. Um, really interesting to hear um, not just what you're doing, but also your perspective on the pace at which this particular market is moving. Because I, I don't think it's something that people are talking about enough. I think it is still seen as something that's such a kind of long-term opportunity. But as you say, these these factors are coming together from incentives to infrastructure to projects, and, and there is definitely acceleration in process. So it's been great to hear from you. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks for having me, Alice. Really appreciate the time. At Jano Media, we recognize that great content has the power to create impactful and positive change for lives and society. Whether that's video, live streams, photography or podcasts, partnering with us will enable you to harness the power of content to engage, inform and inspire. Reach out to us today.